Man, you may be seated. Welcome to Life Church 360. We're so glad that you're with us. My name is Matt Morgan, and I get to be the lead pastor. And we're so glad that you're with us. And I want to just, again, you guys online, we're so glad you're with us. There's so many people that are sick. And you, if you're homesick, I just want you to know I know exactly how you're feeling. I have gotten over COVID, too. I've had it twice. Uh, it is not fun. And you feel like you have the energy, and then all of a sudden you have no energy. Um, and the headache is just awful in the second one. So we're praying for you, and we love you. Um, and uh, we're just so thankful that all of you get to be here. And whether you're online or whether you're in person, we really hope that you connect here at Life Church 360. And we really hope um, that you're able to experience what we call, what actually Jesus calls in John 10.10. He said, the thief's purpose is to kill, rob, and destroy, but I have come to give you a rich and satisfying life. And when he says that, he's not saying, hey, follow me and you're going to be rich. It's in here, right? It's in here. And that we would have a rich and satisfying life no matter what we're going through and we actually named our church, Life Church 360, the L-I-F-E, is the way you experience, we really believe that this whole life-giving relationship with Jesus and this rich and satisfying life is, one, you love God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. So that's the L. You invest in others because we're supposed to love our neighbors, we love ourselves, And so we're going to invest in other people. We're going to faithfully serve because Jesus came to serve. We want to be like him. And we're going to encourage the world. And so we really work hard at like not telling the world what's wrong with them, but what's right with Jesus and how we can encourage them that they could have a relationship with him. And we hope that you get to be involved in all of that. And if you would like to find out more what it means to actually be a partner of Life Church 360, um, some churches call it membership. We call it partnership. Membership kind of sounds in our, in our kind of head like, like it's a country club. And partnership is, you know, hey, there's a mission that Jesus gave us a mission to go into the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. So we have this mission. And there's kind of a unique way we do it. We have a unique uh, a DNA, if you will, and philosophy. And um, if you want to know what we believe and all that kind of stuff, and you want to find out what it means to be a partner, you can come on February 3rd. And I'll, I'll be doing that, and you can find out exactly what it means. Uh, before I go into the message, I have a little bit of a bitter, sweet announcement. It's a little bitter for us. Um, and a little sweet for those that are uh, in the announcement. Um, our youth pastor, Brad Nana, and his wife, Sarah Beth, a little, about a year ago, a little over a year ago, um, they literally took their honeymoon and moved from the East Coast to here uh, to be our youth pastors. And uh, they have been really you know, uh, praying and seeking God about just being here in the Northwest and all of that for the last year. And uh, they, they miss their home a lot. And um, over Christmas break, Brad and I actually, before he left for vacation, uh, we were just praying about direction for Brad and, and uh, what he would do, uh, whether youth ministry or take on more administrative roles here or what, what really God's plan is for him. And while he was on break, he had a call from a friend um, and asked if he would want to plant a church with, uh, and be one of the four main leaders of planting a church in North Carolina. And uh, he really feels like that's God's call for him. And so, yeah, we are very, it's very great for them um, and it's a little hard for us, but I, I remember for me, uh, Tina and I, we actually, we served at one church for just a little less than a year, and it was in Southern California, and we knew Southern California was not for us, great place to visit, but not where we would want to live. Uh, we just didn't feel like we fit in, and, um, and felt like God would want us to be somewhere else, and I think God does that, and that's okay, and um, we would like to celebrate them and pray for them, and love them. So I want to invite them to come on up, and we're going to pray for them right now, and I want you guys to join me in prayer. Would you guys give them a hand for all they've done here? Thank you, guys. And we just want to pray for you guys, and actually, they will be uh, hitting the road here in about a week. Um, so 
Uh, this will be his last Sunday, and Tuesday will be his last Tuesday. It's really sudden because he got sick while he was gone, and he couldn't come home, in fact, so couldn't even get a flight home. So let's pray for these guys. Lord, we love you. I thank you for Brad and Sarah, and I pray, God, that your anointing would rest on their life. I pray, Father, you'd bless them. I pray, Jesus, that everything that they do, everything for your kingdom, that they would just, you would touch them, anoint them, and, and it would be blessed. And you'd bless this new church, God. It has not even started yet. I pray, God, for that church that you would anoint it, and God, you would reach many, many people for you. And we know, God, that uh, for you, everyone wins in your kingdom. So we just uh, offer ourselves to you and pray for your direction and uh, for us as well. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, man, we love you guys. Yeah, God bless you guys. So we're just going to celebrate them, and we're going to just say God bless, and uh, that's really, it's great for you guys. And I know what it feels like to actually move back to where you came from, and and so we're just with you on that. So we're in a series right now called Now What? And uh, we, we ended a series in Christmas, you know, talking about the birth of Jesus. And as we ended that series, we talked about the birth of Jesus in us. And Jesus actually coined the phrase born again. Uh, if you're new to church stuff, uh, born again comes from Jesus in John 3, 3. He says to this guy named Nicodemus, who's Nicodemus is curious about heaven and him and the whole thing. Jesus cuts right to the chase and he says, I tell you the truth. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And scripture actually says that when we say to Jesus, Lord, please forgive me of my sins, I, I, I've sinned, and will you forgive me of my sin, and will you be the leader of my life? That's the repentance part where we turn away from our sin and what we want to do, and we're going to follow him and what he wants us to do. Scripture actually says you're born of the Spirit, in fact, Jesus said it to Nicodemus in verse 5, because Nicodemus goes, how can I crawl back into my mother and be born again? That's not possible. I'm a grown man. And so Jesus says, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. So when you give your life to Jesus, and that happens, literally the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you. You have a birth of the Spirit. And what the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit guides us into all truth, and we can actually understand his word and, more importantly, apply his word. So we actually have the power through the Holy Spirit to follow him and do what he's called us to do. It is a, it's a change of everything. So Corinthians says that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. We're literally a whole new being. Everything has changed. And it's so important that we, we go, okay, I want to be more like Jesus. So we're saying, okay, if I'm going to be a Christ follower, what does it do? What do I do now? What, now what? And so we've, you know, we've done the pathway to peace because everybody prays for peace, right? And, and we pray for more love. And so we, we talked about the love struggle war. And, and then we, we all pray for joy and we talk about joy in the journey. Well, today what I want to talk about is wisdom. Now, I don't know about you, but I've often prayed for wisdom. I've always prayed for wisdom. And, and I would say before these last two years, I would say it would be often. I couldn't really even give you a time, like, you know, but often. I'm gonna, wisdom as a dad, wisdom as a husband, wisdom as a spiritual leader. I got to tell you, I can't remember a time in my history that's been any crazier than the last two years. Anybody else? I mean, like, it's just been, like...
post it. Social media. Okay, God, give me some wisdom here. You know, because you can have more wisdom. And what I want to talk about today is the ways of wisdom. So here's the reality. We can pray for these things. Joy, we can pray for love, we can pray for peace, we can pray for wisdom. But if we don't enact them and do them, then what happens is we don't realize it. Right? Like, you know what I mean? We want it, and we pray for it, and it kind of comes in a little bit of a wave, and then we go out home and have lunch. But, like, what if we enact it? We could actually do it. In Proverbs 1, it says, these are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom, so you can learn it, and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives. Anybody want that? Okay. Uh, to help them do what is right, just, and fair. These Proverbs will give insight to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young. Let the wise listen to these Proverbs and become even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance. The more we dive into Scripture and the more we do it, the more we will experience it and have it. The more we will actually experience this, what we really, really want is more wisdom. And so there are ways of wisdom. And before I get into the ways of wisdom, I got to give you two really good news about wisdom, okay? You just learned you can learn it, okay? But here's, here's some stuff. God is very wise. Yeah, come on. I was just waiting on that one. And he loves to give wisdom to his kids. He loves that. Like it says you can, ask, if you have lack wisdom, ask God. He will give you Wisdom, And so we just read from Proverbs, which is written by David's son, Solomon. He's the second son of Bathsheba, and he's the third king of Israel. Okay, so he is a young man. In fact, most scholars say that he's about 12 years old when he's anointed the king. Wow, right? Uh, and in this, in, king, in 1 Kings 3, he's, he's married, so he's got to be older than 12, I would think. And in Solomon's beginning of his reign, he really, really wanted to honor God. He loves God. He wants to honor God, just like his father David did. And, and he really has his heart for God. And he, has this, he does this great act of worship, to worship God in the very beginning of his reign as king. And Solomon gets the fairy tale dream. You're like, okay, what's the fairy tale dream? 1 Kings 3. That night, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream. And God said, what do you want? I love this. Ask, and I will give it to you. I mean, that's the genie in the bottle. Like, that's it right there. It's like, everybody's like, oh, God, will you give me what I want? And he's like, he actually does it for Psalm. Anything you want, and I'll give it. Now, this is a young man, a very young man. Look what he says. Verse 7, now, O Lord my God, you have made me king instead of my father, David. But I am like a little child who doesn't know his way around. And here I am in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation so great and numerous they cannot be counted. Here's what he asked for. Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. So God replied, because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice and have not asked for a long life or wealth or the death of your enemies, I will give you what you ask for. 
I will give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one else has or ever will have. Solomon was so wise. Even today, historians would say he's the richest man who's ever lived. If you did all the inflation stuff, everything that Solomon had, everything that Solomon... Other kings from other nations would come to him for advice. He was such a wise leader. And it, it happens right away. Like when God says he's going to do something, he does it. And in verse 23, I want to... There's this... This is amazing. It's kind of his first big deal. There's these two ladies. They're prostitutes. They live in the same home, and they both have newborn sons. In the middle of the night, one of the ladies rolled over on her baby, and the baby died. She was so stricken with grief that she took the dead baby, and she traded it with the other baby's live baby. And in the morning, in the darkness hours, they couldn't tell the difference. But when it became light, the lady said, now wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is not my son. This is your son. And of course she said, no, that's, this is, that's your, this, you know, and they argue. So it goes before the king, right? And they have this big fight in front of this very young leader. Now put yourself, a very young leader, and look what he does. This is just brilliant. Then the king said, let's get the facts straight. Both of you claim the living child is yours, and each says that the dead one belongs to the other. All right, bring me a sword, so a sword was brought to the king. Then he said, cut the living child in two and give half to the one uh, woman and half to the other. Then the woman who was the real mother of the child said, then the woman of the living child and who loved him very much cried out, no, no, my Lord, give her the child. Please don't kill him. But the other woman said, all right. He'll be neither yours nor mine. Divide him between us. Then the king said, don't kill the child, but give him to the woman who wants him to live for she is the mother. Now look what it says. When all Israel heard the king's decision, the people were in awe of the king, and they saw the wisdom God had given him for rendering justice. See, he could have, as king just went, no, bull, give it to her. But he has this wisdom inside of him to go, wait a minute, there's a way that everybody can see the truth, and it's not going to be argued with. And, and there's a way that this very grieving woman can experience a little bit of mercy here in the middle of this very hard thing. He is the wisest man, they say, to ever live. God is wise, and he loves to give wisdom to his kids. Number two, you can grow in wisdom. You can grow in wisdom. Here's the deal. I want you to know something. You're wise. You have wisdom. Okay, husbands, just go ahead and nudge her. It's all right. Um, <laughs> you have some wisdom. Wives, go ahead. It's, it's okay. You have, everybody has some. How do you get wisdom? You, you read books. You can watch TV even. You can find some stuff on there. Uh, you go to church. Uh, you go to work. You learn at work. Uh, you, YouTube. I built a car using YouTube, okay? You can get wisdom in all kinds. You get wisdom from your own experiences, and really wise people learn from other people's experiences. Right, like so. There's you all have. Let's say, okay, there's our wisdom. Right? I have wisdom. But really wise people, they recognize and readily admit, I don't have it all. I cannot know everything about everything. In fact, I don't know everything about anything. I don't know everything about every situation that I'm in. And what you would call the difference between what you have and what you don't have are wisdom gaps. 
I have wisdom gaps. But you can grow in wisdom. Psalms 90, 12, teach us to realize the brevity of life. That's how quickly it goes away so that we may grow in wisdom. You know, Scripture says that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature. I mean, God himself in the flesh grew in wisdom and stature. Why? Because he was a boy. And he grew. You can grow in wisdom. And God wants to give you. So if that's true, how do you know if something's wise? How do you know if you're being? Now, I'm going to give you eight ways of being wise because James gives us eight ways to be wise and what God's wisdom is. Now, you're going to receive them. You're going to hear them as information. I want you to receive them as application. Okay? Because it's going to be information, but if you don't do anything with it, there's no application and it won't happen. So this is information for you, but please, as you're in, if you're taking notes, just write at the top, application. I'm going to do this. So James 3 says this about there are ways of wisdom. But the wisdom from above, so wisdom that comes from God, is first of all pure. It's pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. So eight ways of wisdom, and then we're going to close with the peacemaker thing. Number one, if you want wisdom and you want to enact wisdom in your life, here's what you got to know first. It's pure. It's pure. What does that mean? It's so easy to spot something that's not wise. It's called S-I-N. Now, sin does not mean God hates you and you're disgusting and doesn't want to be around you. It means you miss the mark of God's holiness. It's an archery term. Literally means to miss high, low, left, or right. That's all it means. It just means you miss God's way. That's what the word sin means. And so whenever you have to sin, it's not wise. If you have to lie, cheat, or steal, if you're doing something that's immoral, it's not wise. And it's going to lead somewhere you don't want it to go. Now, here's what you got to recognize. Fools always justify their sin. That's a, a, a wise person would go, I missed it. Please forgive me. Okay? A fool justifies their actions. What does the word justify mean? I like to remodel houses. When you remodel a house, it's been sitting, right, for a long time. And there's lots of stuff has happened to it. And often, there's walls that aren't square. So do you know what you do with a, a room that has a, square, a wall that's not square and you're building onto it? You don't build all the other walls square. If you do, the one that's off, you go, that's off. So you justify the other walls, to make it look like it's good. That's what fools do. That's what fools do. James 1 says, Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. A wise person sees sin for what it is. It's death. It's death. It never will give you what you really want. We can run into sin quickly, and if you can get a little bit of pleasure, but what'll happen is it ends in death. The death of your character, the death of trust, the death of honor, the death of finances, the death of your health. It always ends in death. 
And so we have to recognize before we get in something, that's not going to help me. So it's pure. Wisdom is pure. Number two, it's peace-loving. So there's, it's, it's interesting there's no comma here. It's peace-loving. Okay? So this is a one-term thing. So first of all, if you're going to do something that's wise, you'll have peace. There'll be a peace about it. Now, does it mean you won't have any fear? There's a healthy fear. There's an unhealthy fear. Does it mean you won't have doubts? There's a healthy doubt. There's an unhealthy doubt, right? Moses goes down to tell Pharaoh that we're getting the people. He is afraid, okay? But was it right? Yeah, he, there was a peace enough to, I'm going to do this. And so you're going to experience that in your life. If God does something you do, you, you're, it's, it's, gonna, it's scary to just move back again, start a whole new deal. Like this church isn't even going. But Brad, by faith, I'm going because he feels God's called him to do it, okay? Inside, what he said to me was there's a peace. I feel the peace. Okay, there's going to be a peace. Second, it will be loving. It will be peace loving. You'll do all you can to work with peace everyone around you. You'll have peace within yourself. The second is it's going to be loving. And how do we know that we're loving? But if we treat our neighbor as we want to treat ourselves. So when I do this, whatever it is I'm going to do, I'm going to make sure that my neighbor knows I'm doing it with their best interest and them at heart. And there's more that goes with this, but I'm going to be at peace and I'm going to stay at peace and I'm going to be loving in the middle of all of it. Number three, it's gentle as long as you're not angry. You guys remember the verse? It's gentle at all times. At all times. If you're acting in wisdom, you don't need to yell. You don't need to swear. You don't need to get physical. You can just be calm. You know what I've learned about me when I, when I, I power up? And I do. Okay? It's so hard preaching this stuff week to week because I just go through it during the whole week of it. You know? but here's the deal. Like, the stuff that's powering up is, is my stuff. It's not the other person's stuff. And, and the louder doesn't help, and the more emphatic doesn't help, and the faster doesn't help. And, like, it's peace-loving, and it's gentle at all times. Does it mean you don't say the truth? Well, actually, you do. Ephesians 4. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Have you ever been absolutely, wrong, absolutely right and said it in the wrong way? That's where we have some wisdom, but we don't have all the wisdom. And we power up, and we're right about that part. But we're not right about all of it. And so wisdom from above, we go, you know what? I'm gonna, I am going to be gentle in this. Number four, it's yielding to others. You might go, well, yielding, that's interesting. I've, I've seen signs like that that say yield. Where have I seen that? Oh, when I'm driving, like on the freeway. And you're going to get on the freeway, you know, and, and you've waited at the light that says you can go because you're not with two people, you're not carpooling, and, and you finally get through the light, and you're getting down there in traffic, and some guy comes up, and he's not with anybody else. 
But he's over there, and he's just going to, he's honking at you, and he's going to pull in front of you, and so you speed up, right? So then you just almost hit that car in front of you, because I'm not letting that jerk get in front of me. I'm going to save that 20 feet if I have to kill somebody to do it. You can yield to somebody even though they're wrong. How many people are sitting in jail because of road rage and they're still complaining about the other guy? Like, I, I, I'm just preaching to myself here, but like seriously, like, let's just get real. Can somebody who wears one of these be friends with somebody who doesn't? Can somebody who's vaccinated be friends with somebody who's not vaccinated? Can somebody who votes for blue be friends with somebody who votes for red? Society's telling you you can't. I believe Jesus says you can. I really believe it. And all of this tension and all of this, you know, this, it's just crazy stuff. And we've forgotten that we can yield to another. If you're not a Christian, I want to apologize to you on behalf of all Christians. And you may hate me if you're a Christian for saying this, but I think we owe the world an apology. We owe people an apology because maybe you're here and you're trying to just, I want to even find out about Jesus. Christians hear this. You're not condoning another person's behavior if you don't condemn it. You don't have to say, I don't like what you do, but I like you. I hate what you do, but I love you. How many people want to hang out with that guy? None. Jesus said it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. That's scripture to you. It's the kindness, not the judgment. You guys, we can be, we can love people. Like it's, we can yield to them. Yes, go right ahead. It's okay that you're different than me. It's okay that you disagree with scripture because they don't believe in it. It's sad and it's tragic, but I'm not here to control them. I'm not their God. We yield to others. Number five, it's full of mercy. Mercy is giving someone grace and forgiveness or leniency even when they deserve full punishment. Now, there's only one person who's ever lived who has the right to condemn anyone. It's the one who never sinned. And that one took all my sin on the cross. Nailed up there. And said, I love you. I'm going to give you mercy. You don't deserve it, but I'm going to give it to you. Mercy is recognizing that I did, I'm not perfect either. In Matthew 7, Jesus says, For you will be treated as you treat others. If you don't like the way people are treating you right now, ask yourself how you're treating others. 
it's not you're going to be treated how I treat you. You're going to treat me how I treat you. It's you're treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. I think that I've learned the most about mercy by having children. Here's why I've got three little girls. Now they're grown. Cute little blue eyes. I'm telling you what, I am wrapped around their little finger. In our home when they were little, if you, if you lied, you got a spanking. That was, we had a few things that, you know, and, and you, you guys, don't, you gotta learn how to know how to spank some. It's not vicious and mean and abusive. We'll go over that another day. But I came home, and I don't even remember which one. One of them had lied. And uh, I've got to deal with it, right? Except I lied that day. I got pulled over. Do you know how fast you're going, Mr. Morgan? This is always hard. No, uh, you know, I wasn't paying attention. That's inattentive driving. Okay, we're just going to go ahead and give you an inattentive driving ticket. Just don't say that. Don't say you weren't paying attention. You are paying attention. You're driving, okay? Hopefully you're paying attention. Uh, uh, not exactly. Um, that's kind of not a lie because I can't go within the tenth of a mile. I just don't know exactly. Um, but I said, no, uh, boy, I'm really, really sorry. Uh, I, was, I was paying more attention uh, to what was going on up the, in front of the head of me, and uh, you know, he gave me a warning. But I lied. I was doing 50 in a 40 because I was late for a meeting, and I deserved a ticket. And so I'm looking at this little blue-eyed girl who lied. And Daddy has to administrate some discipline because we we're not supposed to lie. And I didn't want them to grow up to be liars, like their dad. <laughs> Wisdom from above is full of mercy. Number six, full of good deeds. Full of good deeds. Wise people do good things. It's not because we're trying to impress God or earn his favor. It's just because it's wise. It's got all kinds of benefits. Number seven, it's impartial. My, my mentor in ministry, his name is Mike Rima, and uh, Mike uh, was actually led me to Christ when I was in junior high. He was a camp speaker. Later on, he became my camp speaker for my youth groups. He did that for 10 years, and we always said, hey, we'd love to work together. He finally said, hey, Matt, let's plant the church together. This is when I was down in California. He said, we want to come plant the church. And it's the best experience of our life. It was amazing. And on the first day of the job, this is my very good friend, okay? I'm speaking there in a couple of weeks, and I'll stay at his house. He's my very good friend, okay? Mike pulls me in his office. He says, Matt, I need you to sit down. I said, okay. He goes, listen, I am the pastor of this church, and I love you, and we will always be friends. But if you don't do your job, I will have to find someone who does. Don't ever, ever play the friendship card on me. I will expect you to do your job. I want to get this out in the open on your very first day so we don't have to have this conversation again. I love you. I think you'll do great. But don't pull that card on me. Wisdom is impartial. He's not giving me a pass because I'm his friend. 
that he led to Jesus and has all this investment. He's saying, this is the way it's going to go. Wise people don't treat other people better because they have a boat. Or, you know, a place for you to keep your boat. Or, I mean, we just treat everybody the same because everybody's valuable. It's impartial. Number eight, it's always sincere. You can tell a person of wisdom because they're just sincere. They're at peace with themselves. And finally, those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace. This is interesting. It grows a harvest of righteousness. I mean, everywhere else you go, you plant apples, you get apples. But if, if, if I have this situation where I'm dealing with a hard thing and I plant the seed of peace in that relationship, and then I plant the seed of peace here, because I'm planting seeds, right? I'm just doing it. It's like, your life is like a garden, by the way. You just get what you plant. And it says over time, because you're, you're in a situation and you got to deal with it. Like, it, and sometimes you, the Bible says live at peace with all people as far as it depends on you. So you're, you're working on it, you're doing that, and you're still working on the hard situation, but you're merciful in it, you're peace loving in it, you're doing all these things. And then what you do is you plant a seed of peace. How many times has the text you hit send on ended without peace? Or had zingers in it that would ruin the peace? Or the email? Or the post on social media? I mean, here's the deal. If you will plant seeds of peace over time, not next month, not even probably next year, but over time, you're going to grow. It's, you're you're going to look at your field and you're going to go, man, I like living here. I like this farm. This is, this is a good farm. And what I want to do right now is I want to pray that we would plant seeds of peace. We would always be sincere, impartial, full of good deeds, full of mercy, yielding to others, gentle at all times, peace-loving and pure. I really, I think you guys, the church has the opportunity. I mean the church as the big C, the church of Jesus. We have the greatest opportunity in all of our lifespan here to make the greatest impact for Jesus. In a world that is in turmoil and chaos and everybody's mad and you can't be friends with anybody and you don't love people, Jesus said they'll know you're my disciples by your love for one another. Oh, guys, we can do this. Those people you've been praying for, that aunt, that uncle, that brother, that sister, that cousin, that best friend from high school, that child, that parent, it's time. It's time. If we can do this, and it's not easy. So, Jesus, I pray that you'd fill us with wisdom. And Lord, we'd recognize wisdom. We'd recognize what's wise, what's not wise. And God, when we, when we blow it, which we will, I pray, God, you'd help us be quick to repent and we'd be quick, God, to run after you and make it right and plant a seed of peace. And God, move forward in wisdom. Help each and every one of us, Lord. We love you. We give you our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.